Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I wonder what the most daring thing you've ever done is. What is the most daring thing that you have ever done? I wonder if it perhaps is also the most foolish thing you've ever done as well. <laughs> I'm not a particularly daring person. Like, I have no great desire to go skydiving or bungee jumping or anything like that. But I do occasionally do some daring things that are perhaps a little foolish. I remember this time, around about this time last year in the heat of the summer, I decided that I needed to paint my chimney. All right, so you can imagine, we have a two-story house on Cartwright Street, and a, a, an inspection report had come back that, you know, there was just one of these problems with our house, there were a number of problems, and one of them was that the chimney had never been painted. You could look up and see it was a different color than the rest of the house, and I thought, you know what, I can paint that chimney. I've seen guys on the roof before, I mean, they redid our roof a few years back, they climbed up there, they didn't even have any ropes, those guys, right? So I thought, I'll get on the roof and I'll paint that chimney. So I got the ladder out, and I, I got up to the, like, first of all, I got onto the garage roof, and I started to think, and these roofs are really steep. It's like a, it's an optical illusion, right? Until you get on there, you don't realize the thing's like 45 degrees steep. So I start climbing up and thinking, well, it's not bad, but it's a little difficult because I've got a paint can in one hand and a paintbrush in my pocket as well. I'm thinking, it's a little trickier, you know, if you don't have to carry anything. So I keep climbing up the garage roof, thinking, well, it's not too bad. And I look up and I go, okay, now I've got to get up to the second story. So I move around and I start climbing up the rest of the roof right up to the top. And as I get up there, I think, it's pretty high up here. <laughs> if I was to fall, I guess I'd probably die. <laughs> and then I realized, well, I've actually got to climb down the roof a bit now to get to the chimney, which is right by the side of the house, two stories up. And so I sit on my, my bottom, right, and I'm trying to scooch down carefully without slipping to the point where I can rest my feet against this chimney and start painting one side and then the other side and then the other side, reaching around as best I can. And then I realize, I can't get the fourth side. <laughs> there is no way that anyone is going to get me to reach around and paint that fourth side because that would be the end of Jonathan Bennett. <laughs> so I do my best. I do the three sides, and like a lot of jobs I tend to do, it ends up partially finished. <laughs> and, uh, and then I decide, well, I guess I better get back down. And I'm thinking, now I've got to climb down with a paint can and a brush all the way down. And that's a lot harder than climbing up on a roof. Trust me, go home and try it. No, don't do that, right? And it took me three times as long to get down. I was thinking, I have no phone. I have no way to call my wife and tell her I'm up here. She had no idea. I wouldn't tell her, of course. <laughs> she probably doesn't know to this day, so shh, she's not in here right now. And, and eventually, I managed to figure out how to get down with a few slips and slides and scrapes. And it was dangerous. And perhaps it was daring, but it was also foolish. You know, I recently watched a really good movie that I encourage you to watch if you haven't seen it before. It's a documentary film, and it was an Oscar winner, I think, in 2018. It's called Free Solo. Anyone seen Free Solo? Alex Honhold's film, right? And it's this guy who climbs mountains. Well, not mountains, he climbs sheer rock faces, sorry. And Alex decided that he wanted to be the first person to do a free solo climb, which means with no ropes, no ropes whatsoever. He was going to climb El Capitan in June of 2017, which is a 3,000 uh, foot sheer rock. We're talking, we're not talking about those, it's a nice gentle slope of the roof, okay? We're talking about a sheer face. And Alex took a long time to build up to this and get to this point. And uh, if you don't know where that is, it's in Yosemite National Park. It's this beautiful spot. Um, and it's a popular objective for local climbers, but not without ropes. 
And as you watch this movie, you almost feel this sense of terror as he takes on this feat of daring. You're wondering, is he going to make it? Isn't he, isn't he going to make it? And I had a sense that he might do. I, I just wasn't sure of how the movie ended. I actually hadn't heard on whether he'd done it or not. I just heard the movie was recommended. One commentator said of it, imagine an Olympic gold medal level athletic achievement, okay, that if you don't get that gold medal, you're going to die. That's pretty much what free soloing El Cap is like. Can you imagine that? Incredible feat of daring. And it's gripping from start to end as you wonder if he's going to make it. It's this incredible feat of daring. I encourage you to watch it. It's, it will captivate you from start to finish. Well, today we begin a new sermon series that follows on from the series on being a disciple of Jesus. We just spent three weeks looking at what does it mean to be a disciple, and we looked at the three F's that we talk about at Holy Cross. Anyone give me the first one? Follow. Yeah, we follow Jesus, right? We are called to follow him, follow him closely. The second thing we're called to do is to be formed by him, that's right, to be shaped as his disciples so we can use be used by him for his purposes, which of course leads to the third one, which is we are to fulfill his mission. Tom Hample spoke about that last week, didn't he? And the challenge we have before us as we follow on from that idea of fulfilling the mission is would we dare to share what we've been given in Christ? Would we dare to do it? You know, we can follow him, we can be formed by him, but then the point comes where we are called to fulfill the mission. It's not enough just to keep on coming Sunday after Sunday, growing, 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 but then never to go out and fulfill the mission. All disciples are called to go out into their homes, into their families, to their friends, their neighborhoods, wherever it might be, some to go abroad as well, much like the Apostle Paul did and some of the other early disciples. They're called to go out and to share what they've been given in Jesus Christ. And, you know, I think for many of us that's far more terrifying than climbing El Capitan. We'd rather do that without ropes than actually tell someone about Jesus Christ, right? We wonder, what will people think of us? There's a fear within us, perhaps, if we perhaps let them know that we're serious about this Christian thing. It's not just that it's a Sunday morning thing. No, no, I believe this. I live it out. I pray. I read God's word. I seek to be someone who follows his law. I seek to be someone who loves even my enemies, etc., etc., then they might just think we're a little bit weird, right? So it becomes a feat of daring for us to do this. Well, I want to look at our scriptures for today and see what God's word might have to say to us about this. We're going to spend three weeks doing this. And uh, the first week, what we really want to talk about is the part that prayer and forgiveness plays in this daring to share our faith. So let's turn to our scripture readings. We're going to go through them one by one, beginning with our reading from Romans, which really gives us the why of why we should do this. Why should we even care about sharing our faith with others? And what we see, first of all, is that love is the key. Love is the key. Why do we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? Because of the call to love others. Look at Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 
It's echoing Jesus' summary of the law, right? When they, he gets asked, well, you know, what is, what is the greatest commandment? He says, well, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul understands that this is absolutely crucial. And why do we love? Why is it that we love? Well, we read in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Jesus Christ first loved us, and therefore we're called to love others as a response. Not a we have to, but a we get to. Remember that from last week when Tom Hample was talking? That was such a powerful phrase for me when he said that over and over again. I get to, you get to, we get to share this love of Christ with others. And notice that it's in very practical ways. In our reading from Romans, we see that he talks about, doesn't he, Paul, about adultery, murder, theft, coveting, and so on. What he's talking about is that love is a very practical thing. It's a verb, okay? It's something that we do with others or we don't do. It's an action we take or we don't take, right? It's not primarily about a feeling that we have for others. It's a choice that we make over and over again when we might be tempted to be selfish, to be unkind, etc., etc. We are to love, much as Jesus' love for us is demonstrated by action. Think about it. Jesus is not just someone who says, well, I really love you guys, and I want you just to feel like I give you a nice warm hug, right? And there's some of that. Clearly, Jesus loves us in that way, I think. But mostly what we see with Jesus is that he loves and he acts, doesn't he? Throughout his whole life, or all that we get to see, he's the God who acts on this earth in his incarnate form, and ultimately he acts by going to the cross to pay for our sin, something that he really, in one sense, doesn't want to do, but in another sense knows he has to do and does choose to do because he loves us. Love is a verb, and this love is a costly, sacrificial love. The word used here in the Greek is agape. We've talked about that before, but it's that Greek word agape, which means costly, self-sacrificing love. Without that kind of love, friends, we are lost when it comes to daring to share our faith because we won't really care whether someone else knows Jesus or not, will we? But that is the love that's been shown to us on the cross, and that is the love that we are called to show to others. So what does it look like then to share? Well, look at the Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7 passage. And it says right here, let me read this to you. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, the context of this passage is this. The Israelites who have disobeyed the Lord over and over again for hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years, finally they have fully reaped the consequences of their actions. God, who is full of grace and mercy and compassion, who has given them chance after chance over centuries and centuries, has finally allowed them to self-destruct. They've chosen to keep going to the wrong people, turning to the wrong things, not turning to him. And so the, um, the Babylonians have come in and they've destroyed Jerusalem, or they're in the process of doing so. It's around about five, uh, 590 BC. 
And what they're doing is they're taking all of the sort of the top people, the cream of the crop from Jerusalem, the leaders, the rulers, and other people, they're taking them to Babylon, and they're taking them into exile, because they know that if they don't want Jerusalem to raise itself up again and become a power again, they've got to just take them to Babylon, where they can watch all of these people, and where they can perhaps assimilate them as well into their own culture. And so into the midst of this culture, these people who yearn to be home are getting this letter from the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who's warned them for about, I don't know, 28 chapters or so until this point of what's coming. And then finally he gets this point. He sends them a letter and he says, okay, here's what you've got to do now that you're in Babylon. The temptation is going to be to listen to people who say, just get home, just get home, somehow escape, somehow rise up, somehow get back, somehow. He says, no, the Lord told you you're going to be there for 70 years. Now you've, you've reaping the consequences of your actions. You're going to stay there. And here's what I want you to do. And he says to them, doesn't he? He wants them to settle down, basically. Okay? They want to go home, but God's got other plans for them. You're reaping the consequences of your actions. He wants them to settle down. He wants them to grow in number as well. He wants them to increase. Okay? And he wants them to seek the welfare of the city around them. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I feel a bit like those Israelites in Babylon, right? I feel as if, you know, I'm a, I'm a resident alien. All of us are, right? We're resident aliens in this world. And as I look around at the world, as I see what's going on in the world, I wish I could be with my father in the new heaven and the new earth already. Ever have that feeling, right? There's this longing, this yearning in our hearts for things to be better. Wonder why you try and do things to make things better in the world? Why people do that? It's because we long to be in that perfect place. Well, these guys are longing and yearning to be back in Jerusalem, the holy city, the promised land. And yet God's saying no. And I think for us as well right now, he says, no, you know what? Life may be hard right now in this place. It's different now for us. We're not reaping the consequences of our actions so much, but we're certainly here for a reason. Life may be hard. You may be struggling with divorce or sickness. You may be struggling with financial problems. You may be struggling um, with um, some kind of um, abuse, perhaps, or whatever it might be. And life may be really hard. But in the midst of that, the Lord says, I am with you, I'm with you, and I long to help you even in the midst of these problems. I am going to get you through. There's a famous verse that comes right after this passage, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's an oft-quoted verse. And I think it's helpful for us as we live in the midst of a certain amount of darkness in our world to know that God still has our backs. He's with us. And he wants us to live in the midst of others. He wants us to grow in number. And he wants us to bless those around us, even as we might prefer to be somewhere else. You see, God's people have always been called to bless those around them. Think about Abraham way back when in Genesis 12. God says, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. The people that come from you will bless the nations. And so that continues. It continues here in Jeremiah to seek the welfare of the city. When Jesus comes, he seeks to be a blessing to the Israelites, but not just to them. The word is to go out beyond them. The gospel is to go to all of the world. You see, we are to bless those around us. And one of the key ways we do this is to pray for those around us. And how do we do that? Well, let's look at our final reading from Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 25. 
How do we do it? Well, I think we have faith and we forgive others. We are to pray with faith. Look at verses 20 through 24. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, that's Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, believe, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. We are to pray with faith. Um, and what we know from Scripture is that God will do whatever we ask that's A, done with godly motives. We see that in James chapter 4. And that B, is done according to his will. That's 1 John 5. The problem is our wants and desires are not always his will. Ever prayed a prayer that wasn't answered how you want it to be answered? Raise a hand. I think everyone in this room, if you're honest, has prayed a prayer that wasn't answered. You know, we just had a whole evening of prayer and healing for our friend Rich Bunchu. And guess what? He wasn't healed, friends. Or at least he wasn't cured. He's already healed. He's received. He knows he's saved, right? And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard when our prayers are not answered. The thing is that we don't ultimately know the mind of God in the midst of that. We don't know necessarily what his will is in the midst of that, whether it's for Rich or whether it's for someone else you know and love. It's a good thing we ask, right? It's not wrong. But we don't necessarily know the will of God in the midst of that. And that's really hard to sit with. It's really hard to sit with, isn't it? But we have to trust that he knows what is best, even in the midst of difficult times. But we are called to continue to pray persistently. We see that in Jesus' teaching. He talks about being persistent in our prayer. We're called to be constant in our prayer, or without ceasing, we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we are to continue to pray boldly, as Jesus teaches himself. Continue to pray. We don't give up. We press on, even in the face of perhaps not receiving the answers that we hope for. And something else we see that's tied to this is that we are to forgive others if we wish to be forgiven. This is in verse 25, isn't it? It says this, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also is, who is in heaven may forgive you, your trespasses. This isn't part of a formula for success when it comes to healing. Just because you ask for forgiveness, therefore I'll be healed, right? No, it's not part of that. What he's saying is that perhaps there's no greater way to show God's love to others than to forgive them. Think about some of the really prominent examples. You think of the Emmanuel 9, for instance, in Charleston. Think about the love and the mercy and the gospel witness it was that they forgave um, Dylan Roof. Remember that? And I've, I've heard people and met people, and this might be half of me, who have said, I could not do what they did, right? But they were doing what Jesus called them to do because they knew the love of Jesus in their life, and they were willing to respond and show that love in the same way to even someone who had murdered their closest relatives. And you know, Jesus is clear that we won't be forgiven if we don't. I think they knew that as well. They knew that, you know what? Jesus says, I will not be forgiven if I don't forgive others. For some of us, this action of forgiveness will be the most daring thing that we'll ever do. You have been hurt so badly, so painfully, 
by someone in your past and you still carry that pain and that hurt and whatever that might have been that they did to you, it could have been a, a monstrous thing that they did to you. And yet God still calls you to forgive them. Doesn't mean it was right. Doesn't mean that you'll forget it. Doesn't mean that you trust them again. Absolutely not. None of those things. But it means that you give it over to him and you say, I forgive them because I have been forgiven and I want to be forgiven again and again. Again, this is not easy, I understand, but it reveals God's love to a broken and hurting world. As we come to, clue, uh, to close, I'm reminded of something our previous rector, John Burwell, used to say. He was here a few weeks ago preaching. It was great to see him back again. And he used to say to this to us in staff meeting, this is about 15 years ago when I was on staff as a youth pastor, he'd say, what are you doing for God that if he's not in it would fall flat on its face? What are you doing for God that if he's not in it would fall flat on his face? You see, he wanted us to recognize that we are called to go beyond our limits in the power of God, to be seeking to grow in our faith. You see, it's only when we're daring in our faith often that we grow, that we're stretched, because we know that we can't do it in our own strength. We know I cannot do this in my own strength. But because of Jesus, we can, friends. See, by his incarnation, coming to earth in flesh, Jesus, the Son of God, has given us the example of how we are to live in this world, how we are to dare to share through loving enemies, through seeking to bless those around us, through praying for healing, for actually taking on evil as well, and through sharing the message of the kingdom. By his death, he's given us the motivation. Yes, we get to, as Tom said, because he first loved us upon the cross. By his resurrection, he has given us the authority to do this. We know that he is right, that he is true, that he is the way, that he is the life, because he proves it by his very resurrection, his ability to conquer death itself in a way that no one else has ever done or will ever do. And then by his ascension, he's given us the power. When he leaves, who comes? It's the Holy Spirit that every single one of us might have the power to go out and share our faith with others in a way that we would never have been able to do by ourselves. See, friends, there are no excuses left. We are, as the church pastor Claude Alexander puts it, obligated to love others. Let me read you a quote of his. A life in Christ is a life under obligation. Paul said, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, Romans chapter 1. He didn't see himself as a volunteer. He was a man under orders. In church, when we use the term volunteers, we imply that Christian service is a matter of choice. But if you understand the apostolic nature of the church, you understand members are not volunteering. They're sent out due to the moral imperative of God's providence. We are under obligation to provide obedient service, to live an evangelistic life. We owe people the gospel because we recognize the danger they're in, the love God has for them, and the provision God has made for them. And I don't say that just to make it feel heavy in any way, but I want us to understand that we are a people with a, a Lord, a Lord who commands us, who leads us. And so, yes, we get to, but we also must, friends. We must dare to share what we have been given. So who will you love through prayer and forgiveness this week? Who will you dare to share the gospel with through your love, through your prayer, and through forgiveness as well? Who will you commit to praying for? Will it be friends, 
Would it be neighbors? Might it even be strangers? I got a text message from one of the guys in one of my life groups recently. And he just texted the whole group and he said, I just got to pray for my Uber driver. He was on vacation and the Uber driver started sharing something that was happening to him. And, uh, and so he said, well, can I pray for you? And this is a guy a couple of years ago would never have done that. And so right there, right then, the Uber driver says, yes. And this guy prays for him right there. This is the kind of witness we can bring to the world every single day. Whether it's the, the, you know, the clerk at the grocery store, whether it's a teacher, whether it's someone that we just meet in passing, we can be prayerful with them. We can seek to pray for them and reveal the gospel in that way. And notice that each week we have an open prayer time as well at church. That is your opportunity to pray out loud or to pray in your heart each week as we gather corporately for those around you who you know need to know the love of Christ, need to know his healing, need to know his forgiveness. Make the most of that opportunity, but then each day seek to be in prayer for them as well. I want to take one minute just as we end, and I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And in this moment, I just want you to think of one person you know needs God's help right now. You probably know 20. <laughs> but think of one important, one person that the Lord might be laying on your heart. Let's just do that in silence right now. And then I want you to lift them before the Lord in your own heart quietly. Lord Jesus, we thank you that it is as simple as that. Remembering to pray each day or just in the moments as the day goes by whether it's on our own, whether it's with our Uber driver, whoever it might be with, Lord. It's as simple as that, daring to share our faith through prayer and through forgiveness, Lord. Would you come and reveal to us again and again who needs to be prayed for, whether it's that same person again and again. I know there have been people I've been praying for for, gosh, 20 years or so now. Lord, would you reveal to us who needs our prayers and who needs our forgiveness as well, whether our hurts from our past. Help us to forgive where we cannot. Give us the strength to do it, that your kingdom might go forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.